episode 31 of the Daz and Daz NBA podcast. I'm not sure what happened to episode 29. We jumped straight from 28 to 30, but that's just the way we do things. We were a bit off the wall here at Daz and Daz, but <laughs> I'm joined by Darren Hill again. Darren, have you updated your uh, NBA league pass yet? Ready for the season to start? I'm ready. I'm I'm busting. I'm absolutely busting. I've, I've been look. I've been peeking at the schedule already, Daz. So I'm I'm busting. Yeah, we both have. We're sort of looking at it from a point of view. We're going to bring our marquee matchups for the weekend or for the, the coming week uh, later in the pod. But we're going to start with breaking down a little bit of NBA news uh, that happened during the week. So we looked at uh, well, some of the big news coming out with some of the contract extensions. And this obviously happens, uh, can happen early in the season, the rookie extensions. Uh, and two major ones, both signed a five-year, $148 million deals was Joel Embiid and Andrew Wiggins from the 76ers and Timberwolves. I'll get your take in a second. I'll just give you my very quick take on it. I sort of feel like this is the natural progression of the one-and-done era where these rookie extensions now, you sort of look at those numbers and you think, wow, neither of these players have done enough in their careers to be earning those sort of paychecks. And it sort of harks back to the days of the Derek Coleman's and the Glenn Robinson's where straight out of um, university and sometimes even out of high school, they were signing these massive contracts as soon as they were drafted. And obviously the CBA's changed over time. But the one and done here and now, we're seeing guys sign these massive contracts really on potential, not on what they've done. I mean, you couldn't make an argument uh, for either player from on what they've done in the NBA so far that they're worth that sort of money. But teams are paying now for uh, the projections and, and for you know, what they possibly will do uh, down the track rather than what they've actually done, which is, I guess, how we've normally looked at these sort of contracts. So I think you have to change the way of looking. And, and I think it's also a little bit of reaction, at least in my view, to what happened with Gordon Haywood, where they're not going to say, well, we're going to let a guy sign him to a lesser contract than what he may otherwise get. We're just going to lock a guy up if we think he could possibly be a star for as long as we can uh, and make sure that we do the right thing by him and build up some goodwill so that when the next big free agency comes, and they would hope certainly at the end of the, these deals that these two guys are going to be among the better players in the NBA. Certainly in Bede, I think that the the projection would be more if he stays healthy. He'll be one of the best players in the NBA. Not as sure about Andrew Wiggins, but um, I think that they're obviously that would be the view. And then if, if they are one of the best, they'll remember that there was no questions asked at this time and they uh, came straight to the party with a five-year, $148 million deal, which is obviously the max that they can sign at. But what was your view? I mean, do you sort of look at it the same ways? How did you sort of look at, at those two deals? Because they are gobsmacking numbers. They are gobsmacking, and it's, I guess, what you were hinting at back in the era of Big Dog Robinson, Derek Coleman, and, you know, when the rookie contracts were obscene, uh, I think uh, my per, my personal view is I'd prefer this model, right, because the, the, the guaranteed money for guys who've never stepped on the court, particularly now that they're getting younger and younger, right? So imagine paying, if you had to guarantee Markel Fultz, you know, back Derek Coleman or Glenn Robinson money. So even a hundred million at our salary caps um, at this point, a hundred million dollar contract for guys like that, would, you know, that would have radically different, right? Economics for how you, how you build a franchise. So I quite like that we've shifted the risk, you know, to a later part of the player's career when they've had 
time to develop, and it's also better for fans, right? Especially in the small markets where you get the rookie contract and there's lots of incentives now that the extensions are going to be far more lucrative, right, than if they were to be come an RFA or unrestricted. And so in terms of years and, you know, raises and percentage of cap, depending on different performance qualifiers. So I, I look at this and go, the system's working when I see that. So that's my general reflection. I kind of like that. Um, as to the two players themselves, right, uh, um, we're probably six days late to all the, right, all the minutiae, the details that I was fascinated by about the Joel Embiid contract. Because I think most of us had, because the, the details kind of trickled out, didn't they, over about a course of a half a day or a day mm. um, from the one, the max extension signed when everyone's, you know, jaws at the floor and eyeballs popped out. But then there was some language, if it was from Shams or who it was from, hinting at there would be salary cap relief. And I thought, okay, now maybe there, there are some level heads here. Um, this isn't just insurance. There's actually clauses in the contract to get salary cap relief should this guy who's averaged famously 10 games a season for his three seasons in the league. And sure enough, it's, we've come to learn that it's, and again, I, I, don't, I haven't studied all the mechanics, but effectively if he misses you know, at least 25 games and or plays underneath 1,600 minutes for four, four of the seasons, and if these are things are related to already existing injuries or known injuries like the knee, sorry, the foot and the back. It's not even the knee injuries. So it's pretty specific in terms of how much time he misses and the cause of the reasons of his injuries. I look at that and I go, you know what? I can see, I can see that working. So I was a huge skeptic when it came out, but then I thought, this guy's probably worked his ass off, right, for three years and his trips to Yemen or, you know, wherever he was going, some exotic places to get, you know, all kinds of innovative treatments. And then he's this, you know, dynamo for 31 games last year. And Philadelphia kind of being damned if you do, damned if you don't, right, thinking you can't let this guy go to um, a restricted free agency. You just can't because you never know what will happen, i.e. Nerland's Noel. You just don't know what will happen. But likewise, they said they would be equally vilified if they went to a, you know, just a pure straight, you know, five-year 148, you'd be vilified. So I give a lot of credit to all sides for having what people have been calling the most complex contract ever, a 32 or 33-page document to get it done. I like it. I like it for all sides. I think, obviously, he's, his injury history speaks for itself, but the contract reflects it. So I just like that it's it kind of works for everyone as – it might feel over-engineered, and it, it it feels distinctly American, doesn't it, Dad? So, you know, <laughs> fucking over-complicated and every condition, you know, put into a document. But I, I'm like, I, I think the fans are okay with it. If Joel's okay with it and his agent's okay with it, then sure, let yeah. the billionaires be okay with it. So I'm, I think I'm okay. it was a, a Joel Embiid betting on himself in a sense, and, and I guess it's a it's a good sign that there is some confidence not only with him but amongst the franchise about his health. I'll read you what it's specifically reading from uh, Woj's reporting on the SPN. It's, it was a 35-page contract, so very detailed about what... And it was specifically targeting injuries to parts of his body that he has had problems with. So obviously the feet... Uh, and the knee, you would imagine, are going to be a part of that. Um, so it says here, specific injuries are laid out in the contract and include only past problem areas with Embiid's, Embiid's feet and back, sources said. Embiid has to miss 25 or more regular season games because of injuries to those areas and play fewer than 1,650 minutes 
for Philadelphia to have the option of releasing him for cost savings. So that is the part of the contract that you're referring to. Um, and as you say, it makes sense for both sides to protect themselves um, from from a salary cap yeah. situation as well. So you don't have this albatross of a contract hanging around your neck and, for a guy that sadly can't play. And don't forget, right, as much as the fans are, right, they've put uh, Sam Hinkie as a deity and, right, they're gaga. Philadelphia probably think, thinks they can win 50 games this year. Um, but at the same time, this is also the fan base who remembers the Andrew Bynum contract, yeah. right? So you go, this is not um, – this was no – uh, this, this wasn't taken lightly by anyone, and I like that. I, it feels like one of those deals that had all the different sort of uh, players' uh, perspectives in mind. I mean, the, the the stakeholders in mind, and I like it. As to Wiggins, I was going to ask you before we got on on board, but I, maybe I'll ask it live. Right? Is the um, what I like to always do? Right? Is is a player more? how has a player's value changed now that he signs a contract, right? So Chris Middleton, for example, right, signed his five-year, $70 million deal and almost instantly became a more valuable asset. You go, boy, oh boy, with the way the cap's going and the way his game is going and the way the NBA is going 3 and D, Chris Middleton has been one of the most attractive contracts, him, Jay Crowder, and others, right, in the league. Where does Andrew Wiggins fit on that scale? He's locked up. At a max, does a does this contract make him more attractive, less attractive, or no less attractive than before he signed the deal? What's your oh, thoughts on that? Obviously, less attractive. Obviously, yeah. much less attractive. You could sell if you could trade him. If let's say they don't sign the contract and he's still in his rookie deal this year, and they wanted to trade him, then teams, I guess, could do whatever they want. But they still understand he's going to want that max offer, and I think they're paying market price here. Uh, for him and Minnesota being a smaller market team, I think if you've got a guy that you think could blow up into being, and I don't, I don't even think they necessarily think he's going to be a superstar either. I think they're they're hopeful that he might be able to be the second best player in a championship team. It's probably looking more likely he's going to be the third best player, but that's that's market price for the third best player in a championship team. That, and that's if he can even reach that. And I'm talking about sort of Clay Thompson level, obviously a different type of player. But in that com- in that realm of, of NBA stars, if you like, I think that's where they're thinking Andrew Wiggins will be. And Clay Thompson's going to be a max guy with his next contract. So I think that was the thing. In terms of your value, there's no question that his, his value is lower. And I don't think it's a contract that's going to be easily moved if, if being able to move at all. Um, unless, you know, if, if he doesn't show signs this year, maybe they look to get off it and someone's still willing to um, think, well, our environment. Yeah. You know, it, it, he may end up being one of those guys where everyone thinks they can fix his game and, oh, we've got the right environment that, that he's going to thrive in. I think if he doesn't thrive this year with Jimmy Butler and, and Tibbs there, I don't think there's going to be an environment where he thrives. Well, it's like... Um... It's like Coach has said before, and Jeff and Gundy says it on, on Zach Lowe's pod. Um, why do I always forget Coach's name? Who's the Coach uh, pod David that Thorpe. I – Thorpe. Coach Thorpe, thank you, is that um, you can pretty much attribute uh, def- defense to right effort and focus. And when a guy who was lauded out of college for his defensive ability, that was his con- – they're going to say that can be his calling card. Or they thought his high floor – 
was the fact he could guard one through three, one through four. And his, and he's actually regressed dramatically. And I think I'd seen some metrics where he was 76 out of 78 qualified forwards, uh, small forwards in the league in defensive rating last year, like literally the worst in the league at his position. And so um, you're right. I'm with you. I go, if, if a second year with Tibbs next to Jimmy Butler um, doesn't affect his change on that, on that end, you've got yourself one very expensive mid-range jump shooter. Very athletic, right? He's, he does a lot of things well on the offensive end. Don't get me wrong. And he'll get you buckets and he can initiate and draw fouls. He does some nice things, but man, when you disappear like that, next to Carl Anthony Towns, who is arguably worse at his position than hmm. than Andrew, you better hope he turns into something. But I think to your point about market value, I could we could probably rattle off a dozen teams who if Andrew Wiggins ever hit unrestricted, they they have super max ready to go. So there'd be any no less than a dozen teams would love to have a, a twenty five point uh, per game score. So I think they had to. I think it's also probably actually a bit fortunate timing that, you know, Jimmy's got two years left on his contract. Towns will be up for his extension next year. Yeah, yeah he'll be up for it next yep. season. So next season. they yeah, they could they could uh, they could work things out here with, with um with their cap and be okay. But well, the way the cap works, once you've got guys on the books, it's obviously easier to sign them than if you're trying to sign for agents. So it depends on if you've got an appetite to, to go into luxury tax. And things yeah, like that. that's um, right. So, but with, I, I think the thing with Wiggins is he has the knock on him coming out of college was always that he didn't bring it night to night and then he would sort of float in and out of games you know, and, and you never quite knew what level of effort he would bring. And I think the same is been in the pros. I've seen him do things on the defense. I've seen him have great games defensively. Um, I remember a particular game against Chicago last season. He destroyed Jimmy Butler down the, on the offensive end and was playing at least good one-on-one defense on Butler at the other end. So he can bring it, um, and he's still got all the physical tools to be able to defend. It's not like Isaiah Thomas out there trying to defend, and it's just like, well, it, it almost doesn't matter how much effort you got when you're five foot nothing out there. So he's got all the physical tools and the athleticism. It's just the attitude that he's not bringing to the table and, and the effort. Um, and he's, That's he's, it. Attitude, mental focus. So are you locked in? Do you have the right attitude to want to play it? Do you have the right mental acuity? And are you locked in and very present and watching, observing, right, all the movements and, and talking, communicating, and then it's the actual effort exertion. So that's that's what it is. It's highly, highly, highly coachable, but um, but if you don't see it translate, that means the player doesn't want to or, or can't summon it. So huge, huge year for them. Lots of pressure on him now. Um, yeah, I think you just but, want uh, to see some signs this year. It doesn't necessarily have to be 82 games of, of lockdown defensive effort. But let's see some some signs from this team that they are. Well, going to get, yeah, get but if, if there's, uh, sorry to interrupt you, but if there's 78 qualified, let's say small forwards again. He can't finish 76th again. That's my point. No, of course right. not. Right, Tibbs will Tibbs will string him upside down, um, and the likely manifest itself on the court where they're going to lose. They're probably going to play track meets as it is, but they're going to lose their track meets more well, they're going to win. The so, other and, point, I guess, to to your original point. If he doesn't bring it this year to the level that you would you would want him to, I think this off season is their last chance to trade him, because if he puts him, uh, you know, 
back-to-back seasons where, again, he's in that bottom percentile of, of defenders for the small forward position, then it is going to be an unmovable contract with still three years left. But maybe at the end of this year, you'll still have some teams that are willing to take a chance. Um, and, I, and as I said, that's my, my fear for him is he's just going to be one of these guys that never quite... Everyone thinks they can fix him, and everyone thinks we've got the right environment, and it's never quite right. So it's it's now or never uh, for Andrew Wiggins to me. And, and I'm still buying stock. I I, I think he'll get there. Uh, he's only 22. Again, the one and done area. I think we've got a sort of even though this guy's burned around the league now for three seasons, uh, it's. It's very easy to think, oh, he's been around for long enough, he should get it, but he's still only 22 years of age. So um, a young guy, still a lot of years, obviously, ahead of him in the league. Uh, and I think there's still a lot of improvement left. I mean, you know, back in the in the 80s and, not, and early 90s, this is a guy that would have been just coming out of college now. So I think we've got to adjust their thinking about how players develop um, and maybe be a little bit more patient. Um, but the patience is running out, I think, and it needs to needs to come from him this year, at least in terms of the attitude. Yeah. So, Look, I don't know if it's patience running out. I, obviously, the five years, 148, is they're kind of locked in. But I, I think the patience for Tibbs, perhaps, in trying to instill the type of basketball culture he wants to instill, then I think I'm with you. He's afraid. Because I, I also don't want to – I looked at this deal and I thought, who would I rather have, right? Embiid with his meteoric sort of upside, but – 10 games a year history with a contract that lets me out of it, or Wiggins, who hasn't shown us nearly the flashes that Embiid, albeit in just 31 games, his, his ceiling hasn't even flashed in the same way that Embiid's ceilings has, has flashed. Who would, but he's, you know, he's Wiggins looks like he's made a rubber, hasn't missed a game in his career yet, mm. right? 82 games all three years. And in his defense, uh, I don't know if did you know this, I just had a quick look earlier, he hit 35.6% last year from three, and he upped it to 3.5 attempts per game. So, you know, so at least his offensive game is coming around. He's starting to shoot the ball, you know, from behind the arc. So whilst that's league average, and I go, fuck, if Giannis could shoot shoot 35.6%, um, we'll, get, we'll get to that later. <laughs> He's, so I go, we oftentimes are guys who are – their talent level, right, just their physical talent so good, we find ourselves talking about – the, the things they can't do and almost ignore the fact that, as your point, he's only 22. Um, the guy is ridiculously consistent. He's perfectly healthy. He shot 35% from three. He's not averaging, what was it, 23, 24 points a game last year as a 21-year-old. I go, okay. You start looking at the that side of the, at the ledger, and I go, I don't know if his contract's not movable. It'll be harder, but I still think you'd have maybe some a dozen teams lining up in free agency, and you could – You'd find a lot of takers trying to package. Um, let's see. That would only take uh, waiters, J. Johnson, and <laughs> right, uh, K. Olinick. Any one of the eleven players earning ten million dollars in Miami, you get packaged to get a to get a Wiggins. But um, which actually is a little fantasy trade I've had in my head. But man, wouldn't it be great to have Andrew Wiggins in Miami and? get some depth and some defense surrounding Carl Anthony Towns and Jimmy Butler. Um, but I digress. So anyway, uh, love, I, I love it for Philly and I like it for Minnesota. I don't, and I like that they did it now. They probably had no choice, but um, I read about this. I don't know what this was, this Midwestern hokey or is it just an owner being an asshole, but 
Glenn Taylor actually wanted to meet Andrew Wiggins, a Glenn Taylor owner of the Wolves, and meet him and look him in the eye and shake him in the hand um, before he signed the deal. I don't know what that's about, but I don't know. It's just a, maybe an owner being a bully. <laughs> but uh, yeah, anyway, sure. put the paper forward. But yeah, it's, look, to me, no-brainers on both sides. And, and obviously, no-brainer for the 76ers to get a little bit of protection as well for themselves uh, if any injuries keep reoccurring with uh, with Joel Embiid. Another bit of uh, contract news was DeJounte Murray. The Spurs picked up his third-year option. I know that was big news for you too, Daz. Uh, I just wanted to get that in just to try and even it up because we do have some contractual obligations. Yeah. Even well, up the Spurs talk. I love it. Talk. <laughs> I love it. Well, also, so Carl Anthony Towns had his option picked up. Tyus Jones had his option picked up. Uh, Stanley Johnson, Henry Ellenson. Um, so it wasn't just, just DeJunte Day. Is it DeJunte or DeJunte? DeJunte. DeJunte. So it's like a je sound, like yes. the French. Okay. Yep. DeJunte, so... But yes, good on DeJounte. Yeah. So we wanted one of the things we wanted to do tonight, Daz, was do an over-under uh, discussion. And not the traditional sort of over-under, even though the first one I'm going to throw out to you is a bit more of a traditional over-under. But a lot of times this year we look at over-under win totals, but we're sort of going to go a little bit off the beaten track with some of our over-unders for this year uh, and give it away, I guess, uh, facilitating some discussion about what some of the things that we're more interested in uh, for the coming season. I'm going to throw the first one out there. It's a bit of a boring one in, in some ways, but this is a team that I am interested in, in seeing this year, and that's the Washington Wizards. The number's 50, uh, over under 50 wins for the Washington Wizards uh, this season. And the reason I've chosen 50 is they haven't won 50 games since 1979. So you want to talk about futility in a sporting franchise, the Wizards or Bullets or whatever yeah. as are right up there. When I do listen to the Ringer pods and Joe House, still, you know, he's like the last Bullets fan that I probably know of, um, is always lamenting their their sad story to past. But what's the number? Was it fifty? Fifty. So the well, Wizards have forty nine and a half. Let's say that's okay. Um, this enormous amounts of continuity. Everyone's everyone's back. They did a couple things on the on the bench, didn't they? They lost. Um, uh, Bogdanovich. They lost Bogdanovich. They lost uh, Brandon Jennings. They picked up... Uh, Addition by subtraction. Got Frazier, who's obviously an upgrade over Jennings, as bad as Frazier is, but... Um, and Stucky. Jan Mahini. Who, who else? Stucky. Oh, they got Stucky. Tough little, tough little guy. Yeah, look, so roster flotsam and jutsam, right? So I think the bench is still going to be the problem, which is ironic because that starting five fits together so nicely. I wish they could have gotten creative and done something more with Gortat, but um, I think we can see. Well, I think the whole world was pleased to see what um, Bradley Beal could stay healthy, and then played pretty well or, or excellent in the playoffs. Had a lot of big shots in the playoffs. Um, most of us thought they were going to close out Boston. They just, they just couldn't. One ridiculous Kelly Olynyk streak kind of kiboshed that. So. Um, I think John Wall's probably hit his ceiling, but I think he can maintain it. Now he's got Beal and Porter, who I like. He's a nice, a nice player. Um, it was Jody Meeks, actually, I meant to say. Not uh, not Stucky. Not Stucky. But, uh, and the other guy... Meeks, yeah, some shooting. Another yeah, right. guy on their bench that John Wall actually specifically mentioned. I listened to John Wall's uh, pod with Chris Mannix uh, last week, 
And he specifically mentioned Mike Scott as a guy he's expecting to come off the bench. And he's a nice pick, pick and pop, big, uh, doesn't play a lot of defense, but uh, just a guy I can see coming in for Gortat and maybe giving him better minutes than what they got over Mahimni. Um, it's it's crazy. It's some Mike years. Scott had some nice, he had some nice spurts. He's at with Atlanta in last Atlanta, year, right? Yeah. yeah. He's had some nice spurts, right? I'll be honest. He's, a, he's an NBA player. So I like him in a Jason Smith type of role, right? So, you know, 10, 15 minutes a game, and he's got some games. So, look, um, over under 50, was it? Um, look, with the imbalance schedule, they're, they're in which – which what? That's <laughs> we should have a quiz. Do, do you know what division the teams are in? We sort of lost what even division means, right? So they got – the Hawks, the Heat, the Magic, and the Hornets. So they're going to have the imbalance schedule, right? I'm going to go over 50. I think, obviously, the Hawks are in full tank. Orlando is in mm, new general managers trying to figure out what they have. Um, sort of mode, no real upside in Orlando. Charlotte, just, they feel like the curse. They feel like the Cleveland Browns, don't they? Like everything goes wrong. For the Hornets, so I'm going to say over 50. I think they'll go 52, actually pretty comfortably now that I think about it. 52, 53, for sure. Um, yeah, I'm going to go pre- the pretty confident. I really want to see this team play Cleveland in the playoff series because I think there's not many players. I mean, we, you know, we heard Kyle Lowry say at the end of the playoffs last year that he just doesn't think anyone can beat LeBron. I'll tell you one guy that does it. He's not afraid of going against LeBron James in the playoffs, and that's John Wall. John Wall. So yeah. that guy is, is. You want to talk about some of the alpha dogs and the alpha dog personalities in the league? He's certainly among them. And I just, just from the point of view of someone that's not going to take a backward step and not going to do a Toronto and just five minutes into the game go, well, we can't beat this team, and that's it. You're not going to see that from the Wizards, I don't think. So I, I, that's, a, that's a playoff series I really want to see. And, and maybe yeah. I'll have an eye on, on getting some revenge on Boston as well uh, after what happened last year because it was a very, very tough loss uh, <clears throat> to have that game seven. And there was a little bit of mismanagement from Scott Brooks as well on that particular night. So um, a, a lot of redemption uh, to go around, you'd think, for the Wizards this season. What, what was your first over-under, Daz? So I'm going to start with an easy one as well, or sort of a softball one. But um, I was going to say back on our extension talk um, and thinking about Joel Embiid and this contract, and I I didn't know where to put this number, but I I think um, I was going to say take the same number, 50. What's your over-under games played for Embiid with rest, with cryogenics, with, you know, again – platelet-rich injections with, you know, whatever sort of cotton ball treatments or whatever's going on. What's your what's your view on how they'll handle him 50, 50 games over or under with Embiid? I think it's interesting because I think their, their own view is he'll probably play about 60 games. So you're not dealing with a normal guy that they're saying, well, look, we, we hope he plays 82 games. There's zero chance he plays 82 games this year. So you're now dealing with a different scenario where you've got a guy that probably at most will play 60 games. So any injury at all, and he's and it's not going to take much to go up below 50. So I'll go under. And the other point I'd make on, mm. this, on the 76ers, I just think this is the last year they're, they're willing to... Tank's probably too strong a word, but I don't think winning's going to be as... as 
I think the next year is going to be when it's okay. Now we're on the clock. Let's start winning some games. I think this year they're still going to be about let's develop Ben Simmons, let's develop Fultz, let's get some see if we can get fifty games. That's probably their own magic number for Embiid. See if we can win mid thirties. Get another decent draft pick. We probably hopefully we'll lose the Lakers pick this year, and they're probably more hopeful to get the Kings pick keep the Kings pick I should say in 2019 and then if they do start winning next year and say get a 6-7 seed in the next season they're not so worried about what happens with their draft pick because they've got that nice Kings pick and I can't see the Kings you know pushing for the playoffs or anything like that uh, in the 2019 season so I think that's the sort of I think some of that goes to their own internal um, projections of, of how good this team will be and I, and I think they're realistic internally to think this is not a team that's that's going to win mid forty to fifty games. Yet I think the fan base is certainly getting carried away. But um, internally within the team, I don't think they'll be expecting big things in terms of game numbers from Embiid. But hopefully he'll continue to show the the potential that he showed last year. But are you on the same sort of wavelength as that? Well, I'm definitely on the on Embiid. I think with a little bit of tweak here and there, there's going to be so supremely cautious, right? With anything, if he's showing any sort of hints of wear and tear. Um, as to the as to the winning or losing, yeah, I, 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 I think expectations are obviously elevated. You don't go out and sign the players. They sign and get a J.J. Redick, and, you know, you get um, Simmons back. And, right? Just expectations are high. So I think they're... Um, I think they want to make the playoffs. So, you know, I don't think this team wants to tank, right? I think this team wants every player to win their spot in a rotation and make a push and win basketball games. But if they fail to make the playoffs, I don't think it's a disaster. But this is definitely not a team uh, expecting to be part of the process anymore. The process well, is done. The, now, the point, sorry, Neil, yeah. but the point I was trying to make was, I guess, yeah. I think Brett Brown and other staff, they're going to be on the clock next year. I think if they win 33 games this year, I think everyone will go, okay, that's the last year we, we win in the 30s. We're going to win in the 40s and, and, yeah. and upwards from there. Yeah. Look, I actually I would have a hard time thinking of a team that has maybe the Celtics or, or the Clippers are kind of two and three. But I think what team has more question marks? Can you remember a team with more question marks about individual players going into a season than this one? Markel Fultz, drafted number one traded up to get him, gave up an enormously valuable pick to go up two spots to grab him, then he goes and changes his shot, his, his mechanics. Can he play? Can he not? Will he make the rotation? Right? Uh, uh, Joel Embiid, right? Famously signed the, the historic deal 10 games a year. Looks like Hakeem Olajuwon. How is he going to play? Will he not? Rashawn Holmes, the darling of last season, now he's gotten hurt. Will he get time? Will he play? Will he not? Sarich, who was a runner-up to Rookie of the Year, is he going to get squeezed out in minutes? Um, how is he going to get a run? Jalil Okafor, a very top pick, back to the basket guy, but who can score? Are they going to trade him? Does he have any value? How is he going to get the floor? If they bench him, he's got no value and he rots away. If they play him, he stunts the growth of the players who are like Simmons and Fultz trying to drag to the basket because he's a blob. He looks like chewing gum, right? Uh, Nick Stoskis, a young player who's still got some upside. Uh, Timothy Luawu, who's got some raw, like, can you just think of a team with more question marks? And so Brett Brown, this will be the coaching, the coaching job of the year, right? 
win, lose, or indifferent is how he can take probably a dozen worthy players with a dozen trajectories that are all over the map and assemble a team, assemble a culture, get a rotation. That for me is the 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 over under should have been fifteen in number of starting you know starting lineups that Brett Brown's going to have to trot out this year. That for me is going to be the story of the Sixers this well, year. Also, so they've got multiple players overseas that are stashed over there that are probably going to be ready to come over if it will be in the next couple of years. So they've they've got a massive amount of talent uh, across the roster, but there's yeah. so many guys that you can play. Uh, and I think Brett Brown's from the Spurs system, so he knows how to rotate. And I think you're going to see a similar sort of policy than what you saw at the Spurs. To some yeah. degree, what you see at the Spurs to some degree, and he's still got a little bit of wiggle room because of the fact that they may rest in bead here and there. Um, but there is going to be a time when he needs to settle on a five or an eight, eight to nine man rotation, you, even, and say that's our best best players. This team just feels poised. It's not now, and it's not the trade deadline, but I think it's next summer. But this team feels poised to make a make a splash for a star. When they see what they got with Embiid and Simmons and Saric and Fultz, I think this team is they got a lot of young assets who aren't great. But again, I was I was listing them off. But between Justin Anderson, Justin Anderson and Robert Covington and Nick Stauskas and James Michael McAdoo, probably a little bit less extent. Timothy Luawu, this um, Furkan Cormaz, right? He's been around. I think he's going to go back overseas. Or is he going to play this year? I think I he's actually he here. Overseas, but now, yeah, if he's on the roster, he may very well be. I think he's back, yeah. So I th- anyway, my point is they got a lot of interesting young upsidey or at least question mark assets they could they could package to get um and to get some established players. So mm. you know, like a I don't know, a boogie a boogie cousins. <laughs> is Boogie ever not gonna be in a trade rumor, I guess, is the but um anyway, I, we would radically digress, but um, a thousand question marks and all of them interesting good questions going into the Sixer season this year. Well, the next one I had was also injury-related. So my number's 41, and that is combined games from Danilo Gallinari and Black Griffin. What would you, what would you take, Boo, there? Over under combined? So that, that is games where they both play together. They I've both play together, right? So 41. Let's see. I actually did a little homework beforehand. So Gallo in the last three seasons has played 63 53 and 59 and Blake has played 61 35 and 67 so they've played about oh, about 65% of the games what was the what was the yeah, number they played on 50% 41 yeah oh, right half of the games together um Blake sounds like his toe surgery he had in May sounds like that's going well um Gallo's got a contract. Oh, I hate to say it. I'm going to do the under, Daz. I would have. A, I have a feeling what's going to happen is Blake's going to go fucking balls out. Blake's going to love the freedom. He's going to play, you know. Um, he's going to play the Giannis-like position. A lot, of, a lot of initiating, a lot of explosions again. I just sort of feel Blake's just destined to do something. That's. I hate to say it, but I. He's actually my worry. I think Gallo is just going to coast through the year, and he'll miss his, you know, his very, oh, his very 
Italian soccer. He'll miss his 30 games because he needs to. He needs to oil his hair. But, uh, um, yeah, I'm going to go the under. I think Blake's going to do something silly trying to be the man. Yeah, well, that's the story of Blake Griffin. I mean, he's had moments in his career where you'd argue he's been at times one of the top five players in the league at his absolute best. That's going back a few years now. I remember with the, that Spurs series when they knocked well, it's not crazy. in that, no. that first round series, but he just breaks down and then just he gets tired uh, at the end of games. He, he's always struggling, has, has struggled at different times as well. So I, I'm certainly on the under here. I don't think it's a lock or anything like that. I, it wouldn't shock me if they played. I mean, I hope they play 82 games each together, but uh, it, it, I think given the uh, the problems that both have had staying on the court yeah. uh, across the season, I mean, it's 65% around, as, to your point, um, to expect them both to play a major amount of games together, I think is... is uh, is optimistic at best, um, to put it mildly. So, what was your next? What was your next uh, overrun that you had there, Daz? We're going to go a little bit different route, and this is going to stretch your. You might need to get your Google fingers going, but I was going to say um, one point five over under the number of second round picks or undrafted players who make the all rookie teams this year. So last year, famously, is a bit of context, right? Malcolm Brogdon, second-round pick, won the Rookie of the Year, obviously made first-team um, All-Rookie. And can you name the other two second-rounders who made the All-Rookie team last year without Googling? <laughs> I'm Googling can... the, the most recent draft. So, uh... so, the, and so the, <laughs> the All-Rookie teams, they have two. They have a first-team All-Rookie and second-team All-Rookie. So there's 10 players in total, right? So can you name – I'll tell you, there was three – there were three players who made the all-rookie teams. Brogdon was one. Can you name the other two? Ooh, I'd be struggling. Um, oh. One plays in Texas. So one was in Phoenix. In Texas, I said. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, in, uh, so it'd be Dallas or San Antonio. Yep. Uh, well, San Antonio didn't have anyone, so it'd have to be the Dallas. Oh, it'd be Yogi Ferrell. Good, Yogi Ferrell, that's right. He made the second team all-rookie as a, a second-rounder. And who's the other one? He was a, also a second-round pick. A little bit under the radar. Actually, a hell of a player. I think he's got sneaky upside. Plays in the Eastern Conference, up in a big city, up over there. Uh, not New York. Yeah, it is New York. It's not her than game is. It is Willie. Yep. Okay, there you go. So Brogdon, Willie, and um, Yogi all made uh, the All NBA rookie team. So my my obviously with this year's draft class being what it was, um, what's your what's your best guess on one point five over under number of second round picks or later who make the All Rookie team this year? Uh I'm just going through it now. I mean, I'm really interested. Yeah. I, I think if Jordan Bell gets some run at the Warriors, I could see him sneaking in there. I, I've watched I watched a bit of them the other day in the preseason game. He's already twice the player that their starting center at the moment is. Yes. Um, I'll be one. I'll be interested to see how he goes. Uh, uh, I think Sterling Brown shown some some signs. I'm not sure. I, I just saw him uh, a couple of his sh- shooting nights and and. Um, Jason Kidd showed he's not afraid to yep. play a rookie. 
So I could see Sterling Brown actually having doing something there in uh, in uh, Milwaukee. But just looking at the others, it's hard to get too excited about anyone else. I mean, I would have said maybe Frank Jackson before he did his foot, uh, hurt his foot again. Wondu maybe at Orlando. But yeah, there's not anyone. I, I'd take the under because there's not anyone really jumping in. I mean, there'll always be one player that you don't see coming, obviously. But there's not anyone that I really sort of see that's jumping in and they'll say, yes, he, he's definitely going to break. Yeah, but having said that, yeah. I probably wouldn't have picked those those guys from last year either. No, that's right. for the three guys. But I think the I think that if we yeah, a bit of hindsight, but I was doing the same thing. I'm going to take I was going to take the under as well, only because right when you think about ball. Josh Jackson, De'Aaron Fox, Jonathan Isaacs, um, right, bottom-feeding Lowry Markinen. He's going to get a lot of playing time. Frankie Smokes, Dennis Smith, you know, Malik Monk now that um, Batum's out for a couple of months. It helps him get a run. Donovan Mitchell's looking good. Uh, Pat Riley's in love with Bam Adebayo. And it sort of went, holy cow. You know, I go, you could probably get – Compared to the year before, Tech Derek White's going to make the rotation. Kyle Kuzma, who right, who's had a beautiful Vegas summer league and preseason, I just thought by purely going, gosh, if there's not of those 15 guys, if 10 of them don't make the team, so I was going to do the under as well, fully knowing that there's usually a you know sneaky two or three players who emerge. But well, it was a very yeah. underwhelming draft class as well last year. Uh, yeah, when you consider yeah. Ben Simmons out for the season. Uh, your favourite player, Brandon Ingram, not exactly lining oh. it up from the number two spot. Uh, Jalen Brown had some moments early in the season, then sort of hit the rookie wall about three quarters of the way through the season. So even at the top end of the draft, there wasn't really a lot of great play that we saw last year. Injuries and babies, yeah, just just children, yeah. yeah. So you, yeah. you feel like there's guys that are more NBA-ready coming out of this draft. I mean, that, it remains to be seen if yeah. that's the case. But certainly I think guys but, will... I'd be stunned if the, this draft class didn't have a bigger impact than the last draft class. It wouldn't be. Would, certainly wouldn't be hard. No, it wouldn't. But I like this question only because I think about when we talk about roster building and we talk about... Um, how many superstars um, have changed position and the tenuous place that small market teams have. And they go, guess what? 30% of the best rookies last year came from the second round and beyond. So note to teams like the effing Milwaukee Bucks, who gave away Norman Powell, who gave away Pat McCaw, right? Who gave away Sundarius Thornwell. When you when your mid-market teams give away or sell your second round picks, Jordan Bell given away by the Chicago Bulls, to the to the Golden State Warriors, right? When you do, you just can't do that stuff. When thirty percent of the best, you know, um, ten best rookies last year came from the second round, right? Um, you know, it's that small sample set, but that just goes to show: get the right guys, put them in the right opportunity, and they could contribute. And so that's another um, shout out to Garpax if you're listening. I know you are. Keep <laughs> your fucking second rounders, you douchebags. Come well, on. Imagine being a rookie like Jordan Bell just stepping into the Warriors. And, like, no one's going to bother guarding you. Uh, you can, you're going with one of the best passing teams of all right. time. The ball's yeah. going to be zipping around. You'll be part of the offense. Uh, and he's just looking like he's loving life. Com- and why wouldn't he be? Compare that to Lowry Markkinen, who's going to get quintuple teamed, right, when him and Miritich, his 
exact life doppelganger, exact same style game is over in the other corner, yeah. right? Not being passed the ball by one-legged Chris Dunn or, the, you know, the half-legged campaign. Mm. Or who's the other point guard in Chicago that uh, we can Jerry pick on? Grant, Jay Duck Grant. <laughs> Jay Grant. So yeah, okay. Well, I think do we both take the under? We on both the took the under. So. Yeah, there'll be one. There'll be one, but there won't, there won't be more than one. Okay. My next All number right. is fifteen hundred and sixty-seven, and that's an over/under at a number of dirty looks that Chris Paul is going to give James Harden when he doesn't rotate over on defense this year. One five six seven. So look, I think dirty looks by Harden. There's eighty-two games, and what there'll be probably about seventy practices. That's 152 that's about 10 dirty looks per thing plus anything on twitter instagram it's gonna be tough to get to 10 per day i'm gonna do the under but it's gonna be close (laughs) (laughs) if that also includes snarls um dirty bombs like when he'll walk by his locker and fart next to him and like fan it with his towel i think we can get to 1500 (laughs) But I, I think if I, if the number was fifteen hundred and sixty-seven f bombs heard by uh, NBA Game Pass microphones, I would have done the over. <laughs> so we've heard Chris Paul yell at his mother on the court, right? Chris Paul will scream at the hottest cheerleader in the stands. Chris Paul will Blake Griffin will have fifty twenty twenty, and Chris Paul will be fucking barking at him, you know, for not setting the pick three inches the other way. So there's going to be some barking. There's going to be some looks. I wanted to move a bit more serious though about the Chris Paul over on the number. So 3.5 is my number here. And that is the number of mid range shots that Chris Paul is going to average a game over under. And to give context, he averaged 3.8 mid range shots uh, last year. The Rockets as a team, Average 3.6. So he averaged more shots on his own per game from the mid-range than the Rocks did. The Rocks just totally oh. neglected the mid-range altogether last year. Came back to bite them a little bit in the, in the Spurs series because the Spurs sort of saw it coming and could prepare for it. Um, have but, you seen um, the preseason, just on in my way to answer the question, have you seen the preseason numbers of what the, the three-point attempts the Rockets have been doing? They've no. hit 60. I know. I, I've seen. Well, they, there was a game where six, two thirds of their attempts were three pointers. Two thirds. Yeah. Well, they they got towed up by the Spurs again on the weekend. I don't understand Tony preseason, but I I just think that's you're going to double down on that that style of basketball that didn't win you win you games last year. Now apparently, I'm hearing that Chris Paul's been given the green light for mid range shots if they're open. Uh, so we'll wait and see on that. But I, I think it's going to be an interesting stylistically to see who's going to win that battle. Is Chris Paul yeah. going to play his style of game? Is it going to be a hybrid between him and D'Antoni? Are they going to just keep jacking up these threes? I mean, there's no doubt they'll, they'll still be looking at shooting their 50 threes a game if that's if that's going to be their aim. But So just for context, right, Chris Paul is the elite of the elite at the mid-range, the league average from mid-range, um, this is inside the inside the arc, not inside the lane. So I kind of call that with it. I guess the 13 to 18 feet. He shot 50.2%, right? 136 out of 271. League average is 40%. 
So he's elite of the elite. Um, what was the what was the number? Three point five. Three point five. So that's basically the amount that the Rockets shot. So the same as last year. year. He shot two hundred and seventy one last year. It's about the same as last year. So is Gosh. he going to shoot individually the same number that the Rockets shot as a team across the season? What's the that's over under? You know what I'm going to say? I'm going to say I'm going to say it's under. I think. Harden, D'Antoni, Capella, Ryan Anderson bombs away from 30 feet. Eric Gordon from 29 feet. I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna rub off. I think he's gonna do three pointers and layups. And he's right. actually not. He's not terrible at the rim. He's not great. He's league average at the rim, 60. Um, percent He's not the. He's not the finisher he was, you know, five years ago. Uh, but he's pretty crafty around the rim. So I'm actually gonna go the under and say he's gonna be a little more of a team guy. I don't know. What do you think? I think it'll, it'll be under. I'll be interested to see not only his number, I guess, but the Rockets' number as a whole per game. Uh, I think he's going to be shooting a lot more spot-up threes as well, which he's actually a decent spot-up three shooter. Uh, a lot of his sort of threes... It's phenomenal. Came yeah. At the, ...at the end of the shot clock as well, and he still shot a good percentage. When he was shot 41% players. last year. That's yeah, he's right. phenomenal. So yeah. He's a very, very good spot-up shooter, and I think... Once he and I've already seen a little bit of it in preseason. Him and Harden already have an understanding of where each other is at on the floor at all times. So, and it's just uncanny, particularly Harden. I don't understand how he knows exactly where everyone is on the court. Maybe it's D'Antoni's coaching, and that's the system, and that's where guys have got to be. But he seems to just have eyes in the back of his head. And there's a few times he's picked Chris Paul out, and and vice versa. That Paul sort of picked him out. And you wonder, there's just, you know, and you know yourself, Daz, but sometimes you just play with a guy on the court and you just have that a connection with that player and you just know what they're going you to do? do before they even do it. And you just, you can throw a pass without looking and know what he's going to be there because that's the sort of cut or run he's going to do. And they already seem to have that level of understanding, um, which we don't know how much sort of pick-up ball they may have played and Team USA ball and things like that. And you can just just mesh with a guy I think and and that's what they've done uh, in Houston already so I'm a, I'm a lot more bullish I guess about them on, on, from the offensive end uh, than I probably was that's a lot saying that's a lot coming from you yeah well, you've seen is, some of the have you seen some of the film I think Zach Lowe did a piece and broke down um, uh, was, I think it was the Zach. one I read was Kevin with the ringer yeah it was a Connor yeah yeah you see some of those movements man man yeah. Well, they're already, uh, yeah, it's like telepathic between each other. Oh, the, that's the, lovely. The worry I have yeah. for this team is there's zero depth, zero depth. And if and Chris Ball didn't play, I should point out, in that Spurs game uh, on the weekend. And I'm, I know it's only pre-season, let's not have oh. but they looked a very ordinary basketball team to me without Chris Ball on the court. Uh, and, you, and you actually look at the roster and you think, well, it is a pretty ordinary basketball team without Chris Ball oh. at the moment. I, I, well, the depth. There's two aspects of depth. One is the human beings on the roster, and the second is the usage of the players, right, and the rotations. And I go, there's probably more usable NBA trying to be a <clears throat> trying to disrupt um, Golden State players, right? So Montrez and Sam Decker, nice players, they're not going to affect Golden State, you know, or San Antonio in a seven game series, but. Ariza and Tariq Black and Capella and Nene 
and Luke Richard, Bob Mute, and P.J. Tucker. So I kind of go, they are deeper with NBA-caliber players. And right, Dan Tony famously only likes to play, well, five players. If it was up to him, he'd have five players 48 minutes a game, like Paul Westhead and Loyola Marymount. He just <laughs> play, play to your barf. And, and you run so much in preseason, you never barf. But um, So I'm actually a little bit higher on their depth, Daz, than I think you are. Um, well, I'm not, I'm not high. I'm, I'm, I'm low on their depth from the point of view. I think if either of those two guys go out, and, and Chris Ball's had his, his own issues with, with durability over his career, and you, you know you've sort of pushed back on, on me saying that in the past. Well, I think if he misses any time, this is then not even in the same ballpark as as good a team as what they had last year. I think there's a massive step off if he's not on the court. And then the question becomes what? how much of a step up is there when he is on the court um, yeah. between the two? And I guess that's that's the, the unanswered question because D'Antoni's going to have his eight guys. I'm not even sure if Tariq Black's going to be a part of that eight-man rotation, but I, I like Tariq Black. I certainly at least like what I saw from him in the Lakers He can bang. He's a regular Nene. season guy. I don't right? understand yeah. the the hype around Nene and why there was such a clamour to sign, re-sign Nene. I, that was a bit of a head-scratcher to me. I, I, I know I'd much prefer to see on the court, if I'm a Rockets fan, between those two. Um, so, yeah, look, I mean, to me it'd be Capella, Anderson, I think Mbaramute will probably start ahead of PJ Tucker, uh, Harden and, and Chris Paul, and then you've got yeah. Gordon, uh, PJ Tucker, and I would, you'd hope Tariq Black off the bench, but it's probably going to be Nene and Tariq Black will play that Montrez yeah. Harrell sort of role from last year where he gets a bit of run here and there uh, across the season. So we'll see how that goes out. No doubt we'll, there'll be a lot more discussion and, we, and we're going to discuss Houston a little bit more when we talk about opening night as well. We might do a couple more each though, Daz. What, what was your next number? Well, the other one which was a, a big topic last year in so much that it wasn't a topic. And I'll, which is head coaches. So I'm going to say, uh, so zero head coaches were fired last year. So Daz, I'm going to give you the number 2.5 over under how many head coaches get fired this season. Oh, there'll be a regression to the mean. I'll, I think there's two, two almost certainly. Um, I think Alvin Gentry's head's on the block. I think Nate McMillan, I'd, I'll be interested to see if he lasts the season out. Uh, I think Buds is, is looking a little bit shaky in Atlanta. If things go pear-shaped there, and it looks like they will. There's just a lot more guys with question marks to me. Um, you know, Hoiberg in Chicago as well. Uh, so I think there's a number of more guys on the hot seat this year. So I'll take the over on that. I think there's going to be four or five uh, head coach changes this mm. year. Um, that's uh, now is that firing or resigning? Because I think there's a couple of guys that might just resign as well. I, I could see Frank Vogel throwing his hands in the air about halfway through the season. I'm saying fired. Oh, yeah, look, resignations. <laughs> we can't control for people's you know wanting to quote spend time with their kids end quote. Yeah, but so, yeah, but I, I would go the over there. I just think there's there's a number of guys on the hot seat as the season starts, and uh, I'd I'd be. I'd be absolutely stunned if we went through another season without any any firings. Yeah, maybe should have made the number higher. I actually am thinking there's going to be, I think there's going to be a mass exodus. I think it's going to be about five is my guess. So I think Gentry is the hottest of the hots. You missed Hornacek, Hornacek right? Yeah. Horn, Hornacek is in the vice grip. 
Um, I, I didn't even think about Nate McMillan, who's just boring, probably shouldn't be a coach anymore. Um, guy who's got a lot of a lot of pressure now, right, is Doc Rivers, right? Power has been stripped. He's got to strip down to coaching. He's got to make something out of nothing now. You mentioned Buds, who I agree. He's got, got can also strip of his sort of GM role. Um, got the Gandhi. SVG. He can't fire himself, but, you know, he's – I think he's, he may be more off-season sort of thing, but, yeah, he's he's in the simmering seat. And you know one who's a, a sneaky one might be, you think about the West, someone's going to have to miss the playoffs, and I think you and I both called it. What if the Nuggets miss the playoffs again? What about Mike Malone? He's never made the playoffs. He had a, a nondescript year with Sacramento. By all, by all accounts, you know, babysat Boogie pretty well and then had a year off the game, and now he's got, you know, this will be his third season with the Nuggets, and... I think there's a bit of pressure on Malone to turn this team into, you know, take Harris and Murray and, and Jokic and make something of it. So I think he's on a simmering seat as well, only because, right, there's going to be a couple of really good teams, Memphis, Portland, you know, Denver, namely, um, from that sort of group Clippers who don't make the playoffs. Well, they if, just stuff up. And tw- if any team starts 12 and 20 when you're expected to make the playoffs, you're going to be in, in the hot seat. And I think there's a number of teams in the West – that see themselves as playoff teams, uh, and if they start poorly, yeah, uh, yeah, there's, there's going to be questions asked pretty quickly about uh, whether they got the right man in the job. So I agree with you on that. I, I think Malone could certainly be. So, oh yeah, look, I, I think there'll be four or five this year. So yeah, I'm with you. A, I'm with you. That was a reasonably low number. The next number for me, or the final number I'll throw at you, is 33, and that's over under number of triple doubles for Russell Westbrook this season and to put it in context he had 42 last season so what are you thinking i mean is he gonna and and you you imagine mm. the stat chasing days are, are behind him maybe that's just something he'll never get out of his game but you wouldn't think he's going after the stats as much this year with, with roster that's around him but uh, i don't know I, I mean he'll still pull up a certain amount just by the way he plays, but I, I don't know. Maybe they'll be they'll be letting Stephen Adams grab a few rebounds from his free throws this year. <laughs> um, hit forty last year, did he? So half 42. his games. Forty-two, half his games, more than half. Thirty-three is a drop off. I'm still going to take the under. I think there's just uh, something's going to have to give there, right, with style of play and with usage. Um, not that. And actually, if he's dropped his usage as assist rate, could probably go up. Um, yeah, I think the rebound. I, you know, if you if you said twenty three, I'd struggle. But I think he'll still get. I think he still get twenty. I think obviously the rebounds are going to take a big hit. I think his assists actually could be better with the with mellow in the mid range. You know how many times, fucking Sabonis or Oladipo or um, Roberson bricked a sh- bricked a shot from from fifteen feet. So I kind of go. Yeah, you know, with with Carmelo in there, you know, shooting some silky jays, he actually his assist might actually increase. Ooh, I could, jeez, wow, I'm not talking myself into it. <laughs> I'm gonna take the under slightly, under slightly. But that's a that's a good number. Yeah, I think it's right. I I, I don't mind the number. Um, yeah, twenty five. Yeah, he'll. Yeah. I just I think the interesting thing will be the rebounds. I mean, because obviously they were leaving a lot of rebounds for him last year. Is that going to be the same sort of thing this year, where he gets those to the cheap rebounds, uh, or is it just going to be a matter of look, we've, we've, those days are behind us now. It's just playing normal basketball. Um, 
or not. So, and I still think there's going to be a little bit of your turn, my turn, uh, like the old KD Rust days about mm. their offense. So I'm not 100% convinced his, his assist numbers will go up. Theoretically, they should, but um, I'm not. I'm not 100% convinced. So I'll be a soft under, but I wouldn't be surprised. I think that's going to be around at the number that you're going to see because I think yeah. he's going to put up um, some pretty some pretty consistent. Uh, rebounding assist numbers, um, just maybe not to the, the level that he did last year. So, what was your final one? Or did you have a final one or two? Does he want to throw past me? I got a final one, but we're going to have to make it quick, right? And this yep. is a this is a big risk of making it quick. Was I was going to give um, uh, you a chance to weigh in on a couple of well, each of us a chance to weigh on weigh in on a couple of MVP darlings, as it were, in the preseason here. So. I'll give you the number. Well, I give you the number two, or two point five, right? Um, for Giannis, will he finish over under two point five? So if you say under, that means he's going to finish in the top two. If he finishes over, you know, that's um, your over is it's finishing above two point five. And he was seventh in MVP voting mm. last year, just for reference. So what's your sense, Giannis? Over under two point five. I think for him to get into that top two, Milwaukee. I mean, how many games does Milwaukee have to win? Because I think there's, I think his game will continue to evolve, continue and improve. It has every single year. But where where does? I mean, if Milwaukee finishes as a five seed again, that's where we've both got them finishing. I just can't see how you can make a real solid argument for him as the MVP. And if you're number two, I mean, unless it's a year like when Steph won it and, and Kawhi was was second. But there was really no debate. It was it was Steph Curry's MVP. Uh, I, I don't see how you can make an argument that he's one of the top players. I mean, unless he's putting up the, the Russell Westbrook and Harden sort of numbers that we saw last year. And I don't see that from him. And I think there will be a little bit of a pushback on just numbers-based arguments this year. I think it's going to be a winning... I think it's going to be a year where they value winning a bit more than maybe just the raw numbers. So unless, if Milwaukee can push themselves into the top four, maybe get around that sniff, start sniffing that forty-eight win mark, then I'll talk. I'll talk about yards, but I just don't see them being there yet. Um, even though I think his game will continue to evolve, so I'll take the under. I think he'll be top five, uh, but I don't. I, th- I think top two is probably a little bit, um, a little bit out of his reach just yet, um, in terms of. Mm. Mm-hmm. in terms of where he's at. Well, I'll throw it to you for Kawhi. So we're looking at Kawhi, uh, top two for Kawhi over under. Yeah, look, I, I so almost in a similar way you talk about Milwaukee, I think the Bucks would have to win. They have to win probably 50 and get themselves a very comfortable four seed, if not a three seed, mm. where I think Giannis is still going to have a slight tick up in his numbers. Kawhi, I go, what? What more can he add to his game? I know we talked about this, well, maybe 10 episodes ago when we were in the throes of, you know, sort of April and who's going to win the MVP. And I said it's not a criticism of the man or the criticism of the player. It's just the way the system works and the way they vote. He's just not going to tally assists. He's not a playmaker and initiator, right, because this, that's not the way their system works and not nearly enough iso ball, drive and dish sort of stuff. So that for me is still going to be the thing that holds Kawhi back is that um, he can't average 25, 5, and 3 
you just can't do that and get in the MVP conversation. You have to tally you have to tally the numbers. You have to be LeBron like twenty eight, eight and eight, or you have to be triple double, you know, machines like we saw last oh, so year. That's, that's so what I'm saying. I think this year if the Spurs win sixty games again, I think that's the number for the Spurs. And if Kawhi has the same sort of season that he had last year, um, and I don't know that he's been well, able to work he, on his game as he normally would in the off season because of those injury issues. So you've answered that's, that's what I was going to say. Is the what's the st- arguing for the case to win top two MVP or even to win the MVP is you'd need the Spurs to basically finish number two again, which I yeah. don't think many people predict because I think by most most measures they had a, a wonky off season. Uh, when Rudy Gay is your big addition after an Achilles blown, you're you're probably uh, you know on Plan B or Plan C. I think that's probably the biggest thing, the bigger thing that holds Kawhi back is not his individual capability. I think the team that would be very reasonable for them to step back and for them, right? Keep it all in perspective. A major step back for them would winning 55 games in an unbelievable tough conference. That'd be six more losses than they had last year, right? So I would argue the slight under at 2.5 plus now the little bit of niggling injury, but I think with the uh, Giannis and Kawhi are probably the two darlings at the moment. I think people are probably tired of the Russ and Harden conversation. Uh, I think there's the factor that LeBron is going to keep resting. He probably just won't play enough, you know, for for voters to want to qualify. And then you got the KD and Steph, who I don't know if cancel each other out is the right way to say it, but they're perhaps so equally impressive. Um, their their shine. You know, blinds the other voters where a Kawhi and Giannis can fill the void. But I still think someone, someone from that group, LeBron, KD, Steph, um, Harden, or Westbrook, is going to sneak up there. And I think we hinted last time if it, you could go, oh gosh, what if what if Paul George goes ape shit, you know, and has a LeBron like sort of season in Oklahoma City? I think you could see the um, if Russ pulls it back and someone like. Paul George has a massive season. You could just see the narrative rallying around him. So I'm going to kind of vote the, I'd vote the under, I guess, on both of them. Yeah, I've got a sneaky suspicion it's going to be one of them years where we're, we're sort of three quarters of the way through. There's no clear picture of who the MVP is, and it's going to be a little bit of round narrative as well. To your point about who, who yeah. ends up winning it, and it might be a bit of a shock and a bit of a left field guy that we're even talking about at the moment. So that wouldn't surprise me at all so we'll see we'll see where that ends up uh at the, at, at the season's end but i want to move on now Daz, and talk about opening night and we won't keep it we'll keep it fairly short and, and, and sweet on this but just what are you looking for we've got houston uh at golden state and cleveland at boston uh sorry boston at cleveland for opening night so what are you looking for from these two games I mean, obviously there's there's a lot of new pieces on particularly Boston and, and Houston from a roster perspective um, and Cleveland going so a little bit more settled. But w- what are you looking at from those two matchups? And, and obviously there'll be some overreaction theatre straight afterwards as well. Yeah, look, obviously the, the manipulated schedule, and I don't even know if this happened before or after all the trades, but, you know, Kyrie coming back, the first, very first game. It was done and, and, before uh, the trades. It was, wasn't yep. it? Yeah, the schedule was out. Okay, yeah. So there you go. High, high drama on opening night. So hard to ignore, um, you know, the team who kind of owns Boston, which is Cleveland. But 
Kyrie coming back as an enemy. It's impossible to ignore that as a storyline and then all the changes that, that Boston's made. And then we've got, you know, what sort of starting line it's Cleveland going to have, what are their rotations going to look like. So you got the Kyrie drama, then you got all the interesting questions around rotations that both teams have. And it's probably going to be uh, – Cleveland will probably blow them out. I think LeBron's not going to want to have a uh, his opening night sullied anyway by – baby fucking brother spoiled brat Kyrie. So I think you're going to see a 39-19-9 and sort of game from LeBron on opening night. So I'm absolutely tuning in for that. And there's no way he's going to get upstaged by, sorry, my white boy Gordon Hayward or any shit like that. You know, he's got his own haircut and Kevin Love. Like, no, they can go over and give each other beard trims or something in the corner. I think LeBron's going to fucking breathe fire and then, whether it's against Golden State or not, again, I I kind of almost resent the putting two awesome teams like Houston and Golden State together in Boston Cleveland on fucking opening night when we don't know they don't know who they are yet. Oh sorry. Golden State knows exactly who they are. Yeah. Houston doesn't know who they are yet. So if Houston wins by twenty or lose by twenty, we're not gonna learn anything. Um, just because it's game number one and we're pitted against the um, the seventy three win team you know, who's bringing the army back. And, you know, we probably won't learn a lot from basketball, but I can imagine um, the first half at a, at a very minimum is going to be entertaining and full of storylines. And we're all going to watch. We're all going to watch to see how Dan Tony's put that, that puzzle together. So um, two intimately watchable games. Yeah, look, I, I applaud the NBA in a sense because you want those. You, you Do know, you? It, it, well, it gives you some excitement about opening. I mean, would you be excited yeah, if it was Chicago at Indiana and Atlanta at <laughs> no. Orlando? No, I mean, I guess, you'd be yeah. saying, well, what's what's the point? Uh, I mean, it's still a step up from the NFL, but it's not great. So I, I think it's fantastic. I mean, it's, it's theatre. That's what you want, and, and that's what we're going to get on opening night. I think the, the go and say Houston, maybe you could have, I mean, in a perfect world, maybe you throw OKC in there as well, but that's probably been a bit too cynical um, from the NBA's point of view to throw them two together. Uh, so, and obviously, I'm expecting Golden State to win fairly comfortably, but I am very, very interested to see uh, how Houston look on the offensive end. Can they go with Golden State even for periods in that game? And actually, they went with Golden State as well as anyone did. I think them and Cleveland were the two teams that offensively could go with Golden State last year. They just couldn't quite get up for the four quarters, um, which, you know, very impossible given the amount of offensive talent that Golden State put together. Um, and on the Boston side, I guess I'm, I'm interested to see is there belief within that team that they can beat Cleveland? Um, and can they build some of that belief from a regular season win in Cleveland? I'm, I'm sort of against you a bit. I don't think LeBron will care that much about this game. I don't think he's that worried about regular season games, even though it's a marquee matchup. I think he's already looking down the track to the playoffs, and we saw what he did uh, in the playoffs last year. Oh. So I, I think it'll be a little bit more of a quiet game for LeBron. Oh. Don't forget, <laughs> LeBron hasn't played in the preseason either. So. Oh, actually, he's been a bit dinged, hasn't he? I forgot about the ankle. If LeBron plays, I think it's against Fire Breathing Dragon. You just watch. He's going to watch for the chase down against Kyrie to shove that ball into his gob. So I, I think there's, I think there's revenge, even though he's, you know, shouldn't be doing it against lesser players. But since everyone's a lesser player, he's, he's <laughs> going, he's going to feel jilted. But uh, so yeah, so Boston at Cleveland and Houston at Golden State. Wipe your diaries clean. Those games tip off at a 
Cleveland tips off at 11 and then uh, 11 our time and then 1.30 in the afternoon, Houston at Golden State. So you can pretty much lock yourself you know, to your chair between 11 o'clock until uh, about 3.30 yeah, or 4. I don't think I'll be uh, all that pretty no. on Wednesday. No, definitely not. So another segment we're going to start this week, Daz, and, and probably try and do every week is our marquee matchup. So we're going to look at one, pick one game each that we're really looking forward to watching uh, in the coming week and then sort of uh, discussing how that game went in the following week. So what was your marquee matchup when you, you looked through the, the schedule for the opening week uh, before we speak next Monday? Oh, I'm going to say, I'm going to look out, actually, it's a few days into the schedule a bit, but uh, probably just more my curiosity theater where we've got Oklahoma, Oklahoma City at Utah. So that's our Saturday afternoon. So it's the OKC. That's, that's on Sunday, I think. Yeah, that's the, um, the U.S. Saturday. That's right. So 12 that's o'clock right, yeah. midday, midday on Sunday. So because Oklahoma City, I've, I'm tracking them, right, and looking at um, they don't play either the first two nights. They kind of. They've got a quiet one. They open up at home against the Knicks, which will be an absolute uh, abomination of a game, um, probably unwatchable. And then, that, so it's only the second game. They go on the road at Utah, and so I'm looking forward to that. And I know Utah's had some dings, and we've seen Exum, but I still think expectations are pretty high there. And Quinn Snyder will definitely have them ready, and this will be sort of the real first test of Oklahoma City after they, you know, practice getting pissed off at. Um, New York the night before. So I'm I'm looking at OKC, uh, Utah, two teams who theoretically should play a lot of defense this year, so it should be pretty physical. Um, I love seeing Stephen Adams against um, Gobert. Mm. I want to see how if a healthy Derek Favors can hold up, and if you've got um, Carmelo or Paul George, one of those is going to be sliding to the four, probably Paul George, and you've got a force like Derek Favors in the center. Um, you know, blocking off the lane. They could open up some, either force them to take mid-range jumpers or getting themselves bruised in the lane. And Rubio. Rubio likes to play some defense as well um, on Westbrook. So I just like that as a really neat early season matchup. OKC at Utah, uh, our Sunday at noon. Yeah, that was in my top three. That's why I knew. I hope that wasn't your... When it was. No, it wasn't my pick, but it was in my top three um, that I was sort of whittling down. And, uh, Utah, the only reason, or main reason I didn't take it, Utah did not match up well with OKC last year for whatever reason. Uh, I watched a couple of those games and OKC just dominated them. Um, so I think there's certain terms that Utah don't match up all that well with, and I've got a feeling OKC will be in that in that boat again this year, but it's certainly one I'll be... Well, George, George Hill trying... Sorry, George Hill trying to defend Russ might be a part of it. So I think Rubio, well, Rubio well, probably did do a better job of being a bit handsy. That's right. Yeah. So the other one I, I was... So who'd you have? Who's your marquee? The second one I was looking at, and I'll just quickly touch on it because next week we're going to talk, our Aussies in the NBA segment, we'll be looking at Ben Simmons and his first week in the league. So Philadelphia at Washington, that's Philly's first game of the season. Ben Simmons' first game in the NBA. Really looking forward to seeing that. Um, mm. and obviously him going up against John Wall and the Wizards in Washington. But my one, and I'm not pissing your pocket here, Daz, but my uh, marquee matchup for the week is your Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, and they, they're at Cleveland, sorry, Cleveland at Milwaukee on Saturday at 10 a.m. Uh, mm. Now, the reason why this is a marquee matchup to me, I just love when, uh, when you get Alf, there's probably... If you talk about the alpha dog guys in the league, the guys that just think 
I'm the best player in the league. How many have you got? You've got maybe six or seven. I mean, John Wall, we sort of mentioned, was one of them. Giannis is certainly one, and LeBron's is the guy at the moment. And I just love how Giannis, in these sort of matchups, puffs his chest out and takes the challenge personally. And to me, Milwaukee-Cleveland is just much-watched basketball every single time because they haven't always been close games in the end, these. But the first halves in particular of these Milwaukee-Cleveland games the last couple of years has just been outstanding basketball, in my opinion, and particularly the Giannis-LeBron matchup and one of these young bucks sort of coming up and challenging LeBron is something that I really, really see. So that that's the game I'm looking forward to. I know you'll be glued to the screen if you've got nothing else to do on Saturday and you might be clearing the schedule and make sure you've got nothing else to do for Milwaukee's home open. Are you confident on that one? Well, no matter what, whether it's live or not, I'll watch that end-to-end. But I actually missed that one because I was still looking at the the Bucks open at Boston. <laughs> the Bucks open at Boston, so it's Boston plays Cleveland, and the Bucks play Boston, and Cleveland plays Milwaukee. So they got this little round robin to start the season. So, mm. um, but yeah, Giannis tends to play better in Cleveland. Ironically, they went into a, they went into Cleveland last year and routed them, and um, Tyrue benched basically LeBron. You know, with about four minutes left in the third, they literally waved the white flag. So you're right. There's every now and again he does. Giannis just rises up, but um, yeah, it's a good call. That'll be fun. There's a lot of good games. I love the Philly at Washington. Um, we, we won't tune in for Miami, Orlando. But, right, I thought if Kawhi were playing, right, um, Minnesota at San Antonio, an early season matchup that you'd love to watch if they were both full strength. That's actually second night of the season. Um, yep. And there was one other one I was looking at. The, uh, where is it? Oh, then, then again, uh, round robin of these teams, Minnesota at OKC, which would be our Monday morning, so the U.S. Sunday, so basically a week from now, Minnesota at OKC. So OKC in a back-to-back, so they go at Utah, then come home to face Minnesota. So OKC at home, Minnesota on a, on a night's rest. You know, in OKC it could be an interesting matchup. Mm-hmm. So lots of, lots of good stuff happening week one. No, it should be good, though. So uh, we'll see. The last thing I want to talk about tonight is just we had our fantasy draft. So for those people out there that might be doing some fantasy NBA, we might just give people a couple of sleepers that we might have considered doing our draft. Uh, Was anyone that you sort of ended up drafting in in one of your leagues, Daz, that you sort of feel like he's gone under the radar and he's going to have a better season than than anyone else, uh, than anyone may have been predicting? No. No. (laughs) No. I'm terrible. Uh, Jay Crowder, maybe. I'm the blind leading the blind. So for <laughs> J. Crowder and J.A.E. Crowder. Um, yeah. So, no, my smart ass answer. Um, my real answer is, so yeah, I think my whole entire team is underdogs. Uh, from a fantasy perspective, I'd sort of say in that early mid-rounds, I guess I really like, um, I really love Miles Turner. So I think he's, again, the addition by subtraction when you lose Paul George. And uh, Turner, I just think, has a lot of potential to both fill the scoring load and go inside out. And, well, you, and rate him higher than, you rate him higher than Blake Griffin. Yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> and, 
And later rounds, you know what? I, I, you know, he's also another guy I took a try, took a flyer on is, is Marcus Smart. Someone's going to have to fill the guard minutes in, um, in Boston um, with um, next to Kyrie. And uh, I just think Marcus Smart's got a chance to step up and, and he's going to, he's going to have his chance this year. So mm. I think, yeah, I just like him again, another sort of fill the, fill the statue. He's not ever going to win a shooting contest, but um, I like him to, to mince up usage up and do a bit of everything. Sort of Swiss army knife in your kind of, I don't know, ninth, 10th rounds, depending on where you're drafting. Who do you like? Who are a couple well, of your two singers? guys? Uh, Will Barton, I think, is going to put up numbers. He's the uh, the sort of scoring leader of that second unit in Denver, and I think he'll be finishing games as well and then play some small ball. They're talking about playing Wilson Chandler at the four and Jokic at the five in some small ball lineups. And they're even saying he's going to handle the ball at times in the second unit, uh, depending on who's out there. So I, I think he's going to put up some really nice... He's put up some decent numbers in the preseason. Um, we know he can score, but actually filling up the... The, the, the stat sheet so I'm expecting a reasonably big year from him another guy I took a flyer on simply because look the, there was we got to the last round in our draft and there was not one active player on the Chicago Bulls that was drafted like you drafted Levine who's obviously injured for the first half of the year uh, and I thought someone's got to put up numbers there and the, the best case I think for putting up consistent numbers is Justin Holiday. Um, he's going to be starting shooting guard. He's averaging over 20 points a game in the preseason. Scored 28 against Cleveland, uh, albeit without LeBron. Sure, I'm, I'm sure they weren't too concerned about what he was doing on the knob. He's shooting the ball well. I could see him putting up numbers simply because there's no one else there, Daz. Mm. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, look, I had a thought. I go... I don't know if I buy the premise yet that someone, quote, has to put up the points, end quote. If they score only 89 a game, but the league average is 110, <laughs> maybe they don't. So, But yeah, even 89, someone's going to be putting up 20 to 25. I, I just couldn't I couldn't talk myself into Miritich. He was out there forever. Well, I ended up with Miritich as well. Uh, my absolute <laughs> last did you? Well, it was simple because, look. You doubled down on the Bulls, did you? Someone, I went back-to-back Bulls. Actually, I went Kuzma, and then because I moved the guy to injured reserve, I got Miritich. But someone's going to put up numbers there. And I, I think the problem with Miritich is he'll score 30 one night, and then he'll score four the next. Whereas I think Holiday has a chance at least to be a little bit more um, consistent across the yeah. season. So who was your favorite rookie to, to draft? <laughs> um, Kyle Kuzma? No. <laughs> Kuzma might be Look, right. my, my real NBA rookie of the year, I told you my dark horse pick was Donovan Mitchell, but he's that's definitely not someone to touch in fantasy. But this look, this being a keeper league, this being a league where um I you know, I'm just trying to find the next shining star. I took I took Fultz kind of, I don't know, eighth round or so. So in terms of the rookies, he was the third rookie taken, I think. Lonzo, I think, went really early. Who else? Oh, Dennis Smith went earlier as well. So, um, look, yeah. I don't think Fultz can get tons of minutes, but he also has the chance. I'm thinking um, in I think Feb- half of the season. Yeah, he'll. he'll that's it. Say February or so. Sort of All Star break after All Star break, you could see a. I'm expecting a, a 20 game stretch where he looks like 
uh, faults of old where, you know, injuries have set in or rotations have set in or, you know, Jared Bayless has finally decided to let him play, whatever. So, yeah, I think it's a, that for me was more of a lottery ticket and having a shake at a guy who I'll have no reason to drop him. So it's maybe one of those I look at as a keeper as well. But um, in terms of pure rookies, I didn't draft him, but I think it's it's hard to ignore the guys who are going to have the ball in their hands a lot, like De'Aaron Fox and uh, and Dennis Smith. I think they're obvious picks for if you want some inefficient but some counting stats rookies. Those would be my two sort of picks. I don't well, know what you think. Who are you? My, my main one was Josh Jackson, who I loved even coming into the draft. Yeah, and that surprised me. Yeah. Why do you well, tell me more about that? Well, I think I read what I've read about it is they're going to they will be playing him reasonably big minutes. They're going to start. They're going to play him at shooting guard, small forward. They might even try him a little bit of power forward in some small ball lineups. Um, you just don't know, but they're, they're, they're going to continue to to just put him out there, and I think he's just going to get get stats. He's going to put up numbers. How well he'll shoot, I don't know. But uh, I could just see him... I think at the end of the season, if he averaged more minutes than any other rookie, I would not be at all surprised. I think there's going to be a little bit of opportunity there for him to put up some numbers there in Phoenix because they'll be playing the young kids again. So that's what I sort of thought from just a fantasy point of view. Um, I think he was as good a bet as any, given where I got him. I mean, it was one of the last picks. I mean, obviously, you're expecting more out of Lonzo Ball and and Dennis Smith Jr., Um, among others, but I think, uh, you know, if I was ranking him in terms of their fantasy relevance, I'd probably have him three. I'd have him ahead of Fultz. I just can't see. I don't I don't know if there's going to be the, the pathway, the minutes for Fultz. Um, yeah. I think they're going to take it pretty slow. Yeah. Because I think they want to, They want Josh Jackson hitting the ground running there in, in Phoenix. Yeah. Um, so. Look, I think it's all a bit moot when there's a guy who's got Schroeder, Harden, Lillard, LeBron, Love, Horford, Lamarcus, Sarge, <laughs> Smith, Dwayne Wade, and that's and then does even count his best player Kawhi, who's injured. Mm. So I go, we, I think we're all going to be bowing at the altar of the of of whomever that guy is, <laughs> mother, yeah. mother fodger. It's yeah. going to be it's going to be very very tough. But look, um, you just got to have the, the matchups here in your favor when you when you take him on. That's about all you can do. Yeah, I guess. At that stage. Yeah. All right, Daz. Well, we might leave it there. Another good discussion. But, geez, we're, we're looking forward to the start of the season. So next week we're going to be focusing on Ben Simmons' start to the season and we'll look at back on our marquee matchups and anything else that might have caught our eye in the first week. But I'm really looking forward to it. Man, it's going to be a big week. Lots of storylines. Um, hopefully these injuries get sorted out. At uh, Yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait. Now that Aaron Rodgers is done, I'm ready to watch turn turn off NFL uh, league pass and literally turn turn it off wake me up for the super bowl and uh <laughs> let's watch some ball well we're going to watch monday night football cuz Delaney Walker needs 13 points for me to beat you in our fantasy matchup this week so i don't know how what happened in my how uh golden tate got benched that must have been i don't know what the fuck happened there <laughs> i couldn't Honestly. believe that some of the There's... scores this morning yeah no so uh, again uh yeah, um, there you go. Go Delaney. I deserve a loss for, I don't know what happened. Yes. All right, Daz, well, we'll talk, leave it there. We'll talk again next week. We'll end this podcast with Delaney Walker. Well done. Yes. <laughs> Thanks. Good night, bud. Bye.